Hello and welcome to episode 63 of Sensational Shigeek Live from Yancey Street. Today is Monday, May 16th, 2022, and this will probably be a little bit of a shorter episode. You will remember that the last episode I put up was both the finale of Moon Knight review, as well as the discussions of Multiverse of Madness, both spoilers and spoiler-free. So with Moon Knight being over, the next Disney Plus show that we're going to be going over is going to be the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, and then only like two weeks after that starts, we'll be going coinciding with that. Uh, we'll be talking about the Ms. Marvel show as well. Um, but for right now, we are in a little bit of a lapse of content. Um, we do still have the remaining few episodes of Young Justice Season 4 that I believe are going to be... Uh, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure it's just a couple episodes left, and we do have episode 21 that we or 22 that we are talking about today. Um, but other than that, we are just in a little bit of a uh, a gap here between great media things that are coming out. That being said, I did start Star Trek: Strange New Worlds this weekend, and I really loved it. Um, I I've talked about Trek before. I would not consider myself what you would call a Trekkie. I am a fan of. Star Trek. Um, but I'm not like, I don't get really, really hardcore into stuff. I couldn't recite you the history of this fictional universe or anything. I just generally really enjoy Star Trek. Um, that being said, I did not like Discovery, but I am really enjoying the first two episodes of Strange New Worlds, so maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. But in any case, uh, the contents of this week's episode, where we only have a few very small news points. Um, in all technicality, we only really have one news point, um, and then I just have some general updates that I want to talk about. Um, and we only have three comic book picks this week, however, they are three that I was 100% into, so I only have great things to say about them, and actually two of them are number ones, and the third one is a number two, and they're all indie comics, so I feel like that's a really, this is a really solid week of comic book picks. I don't have a pick of the week. I would, maybe, maybe I will. We'll see when we get there. Uh, but then after that, of course, we're going to go over the next, the ensuing week's comic book pull list. These are things coming this week, uh, which will be DC Comics tomorrow, the 17th of May, and everything else Wednesday, the 18th. Um, some really cool stuff to look forward to here. And we'll wrap up the episode talking about Young Justice, season four, episode 22, titled Rescue and Search sidebar, uh, the mail truck is outside and I'm excited because I made a little order from Midtown Comics a few weeks ago and it's here! So I just went on out to uh, collect that package. I just ran downstairs really fast. Um, I think I'm actually going to open that on this episode's podcast after show. Um, I'm going to get into all of my social media stuff now, but since I'm talking about the after show, let's talk about the Patreon program for the podcast. Obviously set up for donations to the podcast. I've been working on getting things um, as patron rewards going down. I know I've been saying for a long time that I've been wanting to do stickers for patron rewards, uh, but that has yet to become a really feasible thing um, on my end. But um, I've been trying to put up weekly podcast after shows. It's 20 to 30-ish minutes of me just kind of talking additional to uh, the podcast episode, there's a couple of things that I've gone over pop culture-wise on the after shows that I haven't touched on on the regular podcast, just because of appropriateness reasons and, you know, trying to keep the podcast to certain things or away from certain topics. <laughs> 
So the after show is um, on Patreon. The past couple of episodes I have made exclusive to Patreon for the first couple of days or week or so. Um, and then it's they are also available for public viewing. It's actually listening for public listening several days after uh, I make the initial posts for patrons so that you can at least go through and see what kind of content comes with the podcast after show. Um, and if you are interested in that being something that you get as a somewhat reward for being a patron. So just to reiterate, the after show for today's podcast is going to be me opening my Midtown Comics um, mail hall, I guess is what you would call that. It's all new stuff. It's nothing, I don't, Midtown Comics site doesn't really have older stuff. So um, it's all very current things, but it's um, stuff that I missed out for, for various reasons. And I'm very happy to have now. So we'll go over that in the unboxing and hopefully they aren't messed up. <laughs> In other forms of social media and communication, we have the Yancey Street Discord. Um, a fresh invite link is at the bottom of each uh, each podcast episode. They are seven-day invite links. So after seven days, the link goes dead. So you just have to go to the next, uh, the most recent podcast episode, and that will be where the most recent active link is. Um, the Discord is a place for discussion, of course, of all things geek-related, as well as you know, general chat, just fun community categories, just uh, go in and talk about whatever you really feel like, really. But, you know, there are also exclusive places for the geek stuff. If you would like to connect with me specifically, uh, the easiest to find me is on Instagram. My username is Anna with the comics. I haven't posted in a while, um, but I do post pretty regularly to my stories. Not that my story highlights have been updated in a while either. Uh, it's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. It's just social media. What can I say? Uh, but for updates on the podcast, if you would like to see any of that, you can find me on Twitter. My Twitter is Savage She Geek because sensational was too many letters. Also, my website, sensationalshegeek.weebly.com, has been been working on updating all of that, fixing it up, um, so that it's still relevant in addition to the podcast, instead of being sort of replaced by the podcast. I added a beginner's guide to both comics and manga, which uh, I hope is covering any information you might need to take your first steps into the world of reading comics which does include recommendations. If you do have any additional questions about the industry that I did not address on my uh, beginner's guide page, please let me know and I will add that in uh, for others who also have the same questions. Um, I have, as I've mentioned many times in the past, reading orders of various leading ladies, mostly at Marvel, just because, you know, contextually DC gets a lot more complicated with timelines. Um, three leading ladies who I have been spotlighting for the past couple of months have been Clea, Madeline Pryor, and Magic, because they are all relevant characters at the moment throughout the MCU and Marvel Comics universe. Um, anything pre-2021 that you want to see that I may have written about or reviewed, you will be checking out the archive, the, the full archive on my blog. Um, this podcast was originally a blog, and then I kind of formatted it all into being a spoken podcast, um, but I still do have all of the blog contents on my site if you would like to go check that out as well. Um, and that includes pod notes if you would like to read the podcast. My podcast notes are just exactly what it sounds like notes to go through over the podcast and I make those accessible to anyone who would like to see them on my site um, as well as anyone of course who is hearing impaired who would like to keep up with the podcast as well. 
Finally, you can find um, links to anywhere that you can listen to this podcast, which is pretty much all podcast hosting apps. And that includes YouTube, where I post the podcast episodes in one single playlist, if that's easier for you to listen to them in that kind of format. I also post action figure review videos on my YouTube. Most recent is the Whis from Dragon Ball Super. They re-released his figure through SH Figure Arts, and I got a really awesome one. Um, I believe it was a San Diego Comic-Con exclusive, so you can check all of that out on my YouTube channel, including a 40-minute tour of our entire action figure collection, plus the 15-minute video of extras that I added after the fact because I didn't have them in the first one. I already mentioned the podcast Patreon, where we have, um, you can set that up to donate per, per upload, or you can set it up to donate as a monthly basis, as it was traditionally founded as. Um, I will have the after shows being a weekly podcast reward for that, or weekly Patreon reward for that. Um, I also have um, Kofi, which is like a buy me a coffee for your creator creatives that you follow. Uh, Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal are all linked on my link tree for donations towards the podcast, which would be super great because I'm actually looking to make my uh, my website its own domain so I don't have to have that dot weebly in there. Um, so I would love to get that done in the next couple of weeks. If you would like to donate towards that, that would be really excellent. <laughs> uh, but it should appear, all that should appear there at the bottom of each uh, episode's description. Finally, I do have a Redbubble shop with some branded merch and stuff for the podcast and general comics culture stuff, such as a, uh, a sticker that says a woman's place is in the comic shop. It is Redbubble, so you can get that as a shirt, a mug, a print, um, iPad cover probably, whatever else you want. Um, I have a couple of other designs like that on their site. You can find them all under She Geek Shop. So let's go ahead and get started with the news. As I said, we don't have too much news. Um, we have one actual bit of news and then a couple of other just talking points. So actually, let's flip it this week and start with the actual news. Um, it was going to be in the coming soon section, but it ended up being the only point on the whole news uh, page that I made for my notes. Um, so it is Dragon Ball. Uh, you may remember that some months ago, um, the production was halted or the release was halted due to there having been a hack in the uh, production company, I believe, and that affected a number of projects that were going, not just the Dragon Ball movie. Um, I'm not sure what ended up happening with those other projects. I think they went ahead and released them in the US, um, but I'm not sure about overseas stuff. Now, for the Dragon Ball movie, we're talking Dragon Ball Super Superhero. It was supposed to be coming out, I believe, this summer in uh, Japan and then in the U.S. sometime after that, uh, due to the kerfuffle of the hack that apparently happened, um, it is now going to be released this summer around the world by Crunchyroll. What's striking me as interesting, I'm reading the news link that Crunchyroll put on their site themselves, and what it actually says is, um, will be released around the globe in both subtitled and dubbed formats in North America, Latin America, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Africa, the Middle East, and Asia, excluding Japan. I'm very curious why is excluding Japan? Is that because it's just not Crunchyroll who's going to be doing that? Is it going to be released in Japan somewhere else? Or is this toy animation uh, punishing whoever the hacker was if they were Japanese? Um, because it was, it was put off, um, 
just until future notice. There was no plans uh, when this was first, when the hack first happened, there was no plans to continue putting out this movie as far as, you know, any of the news that I could find said. Um, and now they're putting it out everywhere but Japan. So I'm very curious about why that might be. In any case, this is going to be taking place after dra the Dragon Ball Super series as well as Dragon Ball Super Broly, the movie, which was a 2008 movie. Um, and the description is as follows. It says, The Red Ribbon Army was once destroyed by Son Goku. Individuals who carry on its spirit have created the ultimate androids, Gamma 1 and Gamma 2. These androids have call themselves superheroes. They start attacking Piccolo and Gohan. What is the new Red Ribbon Army's objective? In the face of approaching danger, it is time to awaken, superhero. I'm not sure about the... Um, the enunciation of that last line because it says in the face of approaching danger comma it is time to awaken comma superhero is that saying hey superhero it's time for you to awaken or it's time to awaken the superhero i'm, I'm not really sure the context of how that's supposed to be read <laughs> Uh, but the Red Ribbon Army were the ones to, as you may have guessed if you're familiar, create androids 17 and 18 who are still characters in Super. I actually just finished Super about a week ago with my husband. Uh, we were watching it and it is pretty fun. I know a lot of people didn't like it for various reasons. It's just Dragon Ball, guys. <laughs> I think this one also is supposed to have Gohan's daughter. Um, becoming a bigger fighter too, which is pretty cool, um, because I'm always pro-female um, Saiyans of any kind. Uh, I really like the uh, Kefla, it was Kefla and whatever the other two names are they have. <laughs> I always get their names mixed up, but the Saiyans from the, uh, what is it, the Sixth Universe or whatever it is. Um, anyway, Saiyan women. But yeah, uh, this is exciting. I will link the trailer, the English language trailer that they have now. It's not a teaser, it's actually the official trailer. We'll link that in my uh, description for this podcast episode in case you want to see that. And no official date yet, no official news on the um, cast or anything like that, but we will keep you updated as best we can. And uh, again, the video, the trailer link is in the description. That's the end of the actual news. As for what my smaller points I was going to talk about were, um, I already mentioned I did start Star Trek Strange New Worlds this past weekend. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, I did not enjoy Star Trek Discovery. I thought that was... Uh, I mean, the first episode I watched, I just felt like it was so wildly racist. Um, <laughs> this just did not make me feel Star Trek at all. But uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I'm not going to start covering episodes the way that I would, um, you know, even Young Justice, which I feel like I do pretty briefly as it is. But I might, I, I might just talk about them, you know, a little bit if there's something interesting that happens. Um, I'm, I'm not what you would call a Trekkie. However, it is pretty funny um, in terms of uh, relevant pop culture. Anson Mount is who's playing Captain Christopher Pike on Strange New Worlds. He is also uh, who played Black Bolt in the Inhumans TV show or whatever TV series. I'm not sure what that ended up being. I couldn't watch past the first episode, which is saying a lot for me. Um, and of course, you know, various spoiler things about Multiverse of Madness included Anson Mount. Uh, but anyway, fun fact. Anson Mount is a Star Trek star, also a Marvel star, so good for him. It is also a full moon tonight, 
Um, I believe it is a flower moon, depending on where you are in the world, it might be called different things. Yes, Neil deGrasse Tyson, we know that the <laughs> lunar eclipse is not something that you can really pay attention to. It would not be super obvious. That doesn't mean that you have to be a downer about it. It can still be something fun to look out the night sky and see, okay, Neil deGrasse Tyson? Get off your high horse. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you saw that on Twitter today, but it was... He's, he's become embarrassing. Um, on a personal note, I was a big fan of My Chemical Romance in high school and junior high school um, over a decade ago now. <laughs> but they came out with their first music in eight years on Thursday, which was a big surprise. And uh, I was actually really good. So if you are into kind of like, oh gosh, I don't even know what genre you would call these anymore. <laughs> And they're just a bunch of old farts now anyway, so not really. <laughs> I think they're only in their 30s, maybe maybe 40s, I don't know. Um, but it's, it's just fun, fun personal note there. Um, and finally, I would just like to mention, I, I've talked a little bit already here about Multiverse of Madness. Be sure to go back and check out my review podcast that I did for that. It is spoiler free as well as spoiler sections. Um, so you can listen to whichever version you want. I also have, you know, I guess mild spoilers for Multiverse of Madness, but I also have a uh, an episode out about Clea, um, who we also see for a certain amount of time at a certain point in a certain movie recently, uh, played by a certain actress. I feel like everybody knows this by now, but I, it's only been like not even two weeks, so I can't spoil it for people? I don't know. Uh, but anyway, anything you ever want to know about Clea, I have all of that answered and more uh, more than you could possibly ever want to know on my site. So check out the Clea category and the Clea podcast episode for literally everything about her. I also have a similar episode about Ileana Rasputin, aka Magic, who is going to be appearing in New Mutants 25 this week. Fingers crossed it doesn't get last second delayed again. Uh, and then I will be getting one out uh, this week on Madeline Pryor, who will also be starring in New Mutants 25. Moving on to comic book picks. These were books that came out on the 10th and 11th of May. Um, I, there was a number of things that I know I talked about on the pull list for this week, this particular week, uh, that I didn't end up reading or even really caring too much to buy. Uh, so we have three issues here. They're all indie issues. Two of them are number ones. The third is a number two, and they were all stupendous. So this is Grim number one, Eight Billion Genies number one, and Immortal Red Sonia number two. Starting off with Grim number one, this is a series by Stephanie Williams. Shit, sorry, Stephanie Phillips. They're two DC writers, and I mix them up their last names up every now and then. And art is by Flaviano Armentaro, or possibly Armentaro. Color by Rico Renzi, who is noteworthy. I, I'm a big fan of Rico Renzi um, as a colorist. He did stupendous stuff for the world of Spider-Gwen as we know her now, um, and has done just a great job uh, with any kind of world that needs that contrasting dark to neon kind of thing, just like this Grimm comic. And this is one from Boom Studios. You start off the issue 
uh, with the song Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult, who I was actually impressed with myself. I could call that, I could name that band without Googling it. Of course, I did Google it to check I was right. <laughs> uh, the issue takes place where you, Jessica Harrow, we meet her. She is a reaper. She is taking one of her souls to the what comes next. So she takes him through the River Styx, which in my mind, this was the second classic rock reference in the issue. I don't think there were any others, but I just thought, actually, you know, there technically is also, um, okay, I just had to go back and reference the issue again. Yes, I am, I am a very large percentage sure that Eddie Van Halen is also in the issue as her fellow Grim Reaper. But anyway, so you get Blue Oyster Cult, Styx, Eddie Van Halen, Will this continue into the next issue? I don't know, but I kind of hope it will. Uh, I could also be just imagining that this is a pattern and it's just all coincidences. I need to tweet Stephanie Williams. Shit, Phillips, Stephanie Phillips. Damn it. Um, anyway, so she takes him through the River Styx, explains that she is one of many Reapers, that's how it all works, and they arrive at where his next place is, and it is a, basically a gigantic waiting room where you just wait until your name is called and then go on to whatever happens next. She exits through the door to where other Reapers go, and that's where we meet Eddie Van Halen and Marcel, who now I am wondering if he is a historical figure as well. Less likely. Uh, but when Jessica discovers then that the soul she just saw off goodbye took her scythe, which she needs to do her soul reaping, uh, they end up chasing him down to New York where he was trying to see his ex, which funnily enough is also how he died in a sense, trying to see her and, you know, get back with her. Um, so Jessica ends up having to chase him down and she, she like gets her big skeleton face on, which is a cool thing of a reaper thing, I guess she does. She chases him down, she tackles him to the ground, and then is pulled off of him by a cop. Um, no one is supposed to be able to see them. Obviously he's a dead soul, she's a reaper, also deceased. <laughs> um, although she just has no memory of who she is or how she died in her, in her life before. Um, but now she is seen by the living which is potentially extremely problematic. The epilogue shows a woman who I assume must be in charge of all the Reapers getting the news that Jessica Harrow has crossed to the other side um, and she seems very upset by it. So I uh, really dig this. There seems to be a lot of, I guess you would say lore, comic book lore that they are setting up in the background. Whoever that woman is in charge, the whole system of how the Reapers do stuff. Um, really, really good intro to the first look at this, like, new universe that they've set up for us, and I, oh, super dig it. Also, um, there were some idiots online who got real mad about people being excited to read this comic because they thought it was anti-men, which two out of the three main characters are men. Actually, three out of the four main characters are men, so... Don't see how that works out, but um, <laughs> they got really mad and some guy tried to call me a moron for basically making fun of somebody uh, who was mad about people being excited for this book online. Um, and I went to his like social media profile as it was and his last posts were about how why does Marvel keep pushing Miles Morales when they have these classic characters like Captain America? It's a slap in the face. Oh my god. I actually laughed out loud. What a cliche of a person. <laughs> oh, how sad, too, to be a that kind of comic fan. 
let's not get into that too much. Let's move along to 8 Billion Genies, which was also really excellent. I would have said this would have been my pick of the week if it wasn't for those classic rock references in Grimm. The Blue Oyster Cult, The River Sticks, Eddie Van Halen. I can't be imagining that, right? That That's on purpose. I've got to tweet her about this. I'm going to do that right now. Hang on. Okay, I tweeted her. Now we can move on to 8 Billion Genies. Uh, this is by Charles Soule with art by Ryan Brown. Charles Soule, I mean, he's pretty much got me on anything that he writes um, that I, you know, am interested in. 8 Billion Genies is absolutely no exception. Um, the main gist of it, of course, gist of it, if you listen to any of the solicits or anything like that, being that basically um, everybody in the world gets a genie and one wish, chaos ensues. <laughs> Obviously chaos ensues. Could you even imagine that? Okay, so... But this is playing out, you know, kind of in a different way. The story is being told in a different way than I expected. I'm not sure what I expected, but the setting here is a bar. And we're going to be following, it would seem, these characters who are in this bar. Um, they're in the bar when the genies arrive, right? Um, there's a band there. There's a passed out dude and his kid. Um, there's... Uh, Ooh, that was some construction outside. Um, there's some random, you know, other people, and obviously the bartender, who is clearly, you know, way smarter than he looks. The genies arrive and they tell everybody, you get one wish. It can be anything, but your intention will affect how the wish is fulfilled, which I feel like is a very important thing. So the bartender, as I said, he's obviously way smarter than he looks he thinks pretty fast and wishes that no wish made outside the bar will affect anyone inside the bar anyone or anything inside the bar his genie says done enjoy the show and he's gone um so we start off we see in the first eight seconds there are eight billion people eight billion genies um meaning for every person who makes a wish there's one less genie right you make your wish your genie goes away okay so but after eight minutes there have been two million genies gone and one million people gone, meaning with two million wishes, one, what is it, one million? Yeah, one million people, I thought it was a hundred million. Two million wishes have killed off one hundred, one million people. I keep saying it wrong, that's not very helpful. Two million wishes have killed off one million people in the first eight minutes. So, back at the bar, Outside the bar, um, when the genies arrived, was were two of the bandmates. One bandmate is inside the bar. The girl who is outside just learned that the boy who was outside has a crush on her. So she wishes to her genie that the boy who's inside the bar falls in love with her. So she goes back in. They were not in there when um, the bartender made his wish, so they don't know. And she makes a big idiot of herself running up to her other bandmate who's been inside the bar this whole time and trying to kiss him because she just made the wish that he'll love her and she assumes that it will come true. It didn't work. Um, so she just made a big fool of herself. The guy who had a crush on her is now laughing at her because he's bitter um, and her bandmate feels really uncomfortable. <laughs> Uh, so then we see the, the passed out drunk dad. He wakes up and he opens the door to see outside and it is chaos. Um, I've been trying to figure out a way that I could post the pages. You get two panels. It's basically two pages of the, the utter, 
And again, sorry about the construction happening outside. There's some gardening or something happening. Um, utter, utter lunacy taking place outside. There are castles floating on clouds, mecha robots, giant people, um, you know, rockets, rainbows, unicorns. Like, literally anything you could think of is bonkers and outside that bar. So obviously they go back and slam the door stay inside the bar and you will stay safe um and there was also a thing after the first eight minutes the world was cube shaped so that's also a thing that there will probably be in the end you know in the end these eight eight people i don't know how many people are in the bar these people in the bar may end up being the only survivors on earth depending on how things go because of the bartender's wish. So that is a very interesting concept. We could literally go, I mean, we kind of did go from one to a million here really quickly, uh, but we could go even further just like that because it literally anything can happen. And so then the issue ends, of course, because we can't see all the good stuff in one go. I'm not sure how many issues this is going to be, but the next issue it says is going to be what happens after the first eight hours um so that'll be i'm sure oh i can't even imagine it, it's gonna be really cool that's one thing that i really enjoy when comic writers get you like that when creators get you where you're sitting there and you're thinking i can't even imagine what they're gonna do here and that's what is so cool about comics um one thing i really wanted to note about the art the art is really great um i love the contrasting style between the uh the world basically and the genies <laughs> who are all like sparkly and blue and magical and then of course everything else is just the regular world but um i would like to point out in case you didn't notice all of the genies very very vaguely are slightly dressed like the humans that they're like assigned to or whatever and that actually brings up another question is why is this happening? Was this hap did somebody do this? Did a being do this? Was there a god who sent these genies out? Because it all seems very planned. Like the genies are all in on some agenda. I don't know, but I'm super curious to find out how this goes. I generally don't know where the series is going to go, um but I am stoked to follow it along. The third and final pick of the week was Immortal Red Sonia number 2. This issue is written by Dan Abnett, but I have been having a little bit of trouble tracking down who the actual creators of the interior art are. Um, if you go to Previews World, you get uh, Luca Colandrea and Emiliana Pina, which I feel like is probably fairly accurate. Um, but if you go to other sites, you will get other names. So let me just check on Previews World really quick what they say the who they say to the other issues. Okay, yeah, so Alessandra Alessandro Miracolo is who the other issues are done by. The first issue was done by Alessandro Miracolo, okay. The second issue had similar art but it switched. Okay, so I guess the first half of the issue is by Alessandro Miracolo. Alessandro Miracolo, really great art, but for some reason halfway it switched through to this Emiliana Pina and Luco Colandrea team, and it was not as good. Um, the other thing about this issue that was a little bit confusing was that um, the art, they, they draw the line work, um, you can see she's wearing shorts or she's wearing at least partially rendered shorts. Um, but then all of her legs, all of her, like there's many, all of her leg is painted colored like pants. 
Um, so it's kind of like, did I wonder what the story is there. Did the one artist come in and start doing it this way and they changed their mind when they flipped to the other artist? Or was there a miscommunication? I don't think it's that because both artists um, in this issue have her wearing shorts, but the legs are painted like pants. Um, so maybe it was that was a last minute decision from Dynamite that they didn't want her to be wearing shorts anymore. Um, which I've already mentioned previously, everything she's wearing in this series is homage to her first appearance, which is the, the silver, you know, kind of chainmailed scale top, the gold necklace, the red booty shorts or hot pants, the boots, all of it is just like in this issue, except for the weird fact that they're painting her into long pants, even when it's clearly drawn as shorts. I don't know, maybe you know something about that that I do not. This issue is number two and it is called Chapter Two, The Cursed World. Sonia is moving forward from her last encounter where she now encounters a centaur guarding a bridge. She has to get permission to pass from it and it will only let her pass if she fights it and beats it. Uh, which one thing that's really fun about this issue or I guess series is that her shirt, which is the cursed King Pain Dragon is what they're calling him. They're not calling him Arthur Pendragon. They're calling him Arthur Pain Dragon. Uh, he is the former king of this land and he is contained within the shirt. He was bound to the chains of her male top, but she must wear it until he finds a way to, or until she finds a way to undo the curse and release him and herself from the shirt. Um, but anyway, Arthur Payne Dragon, as he's saying his name is, is narrating stuff as they go along. Um, and it kind of switches back and forth between narration and conversation with Sonia because she can hear him speaking in her mind. Um, as she fights the centaur, she ends up losing her sword because it was a cursed being and it destroys her blade. Uh, so she goes off in a search for a new one and is offered one by a spirit in a lake, very reminiscent of classic Arthurian legends with the lady in the lake handing out swords. Thank you, Monty Python. So she takes the sword from the spirit in the lake, uh, which Pain Dragon says, oh, the sword is cursed, so you can only kill people who are other cursed beings with it. Um, not only that, but you can only kill bad people with it. And if you don't do that, if you kill anybody who is seen as worthy, you will become the cursed one. So she's like, okay, whatever. I only ever kill bad people, so let's go. Um, next, she comes upon the Green Knight, who has hunted her down to kill her. She obviously defends herself and ends up beheading him, uh, but he is fine. He picks up his head and plops it right back on. And then she learns that he was actually the guardian of the forest which means that he was a worthy one in the eyes of the spirits and she has already broken her promise of the sword. Try as she might, she cannot get rid of the sword, cannot give it back, cannot put it down. Curse number two on Sonia. So they're going to continue on now to Merlin's tower because Merlin is the one who is supposed to be able to break all of these curses that are piling up one after another. Hopefully he'll be able to get them all. Again, super dig this issue. Um, the series is still stellar. I am wondering though, what happened with the art uh, in those two cases of both with the pants versus jean, pants versus long pants, and the switching of the artists halfway through the issue. I'd like to know what both of those things are about. As for the comic book polls for the week, it is another good com comic. It is another good week for comics. Someday I will do a podcast episode without stumbling over my words. It might be the day that pigs fly, so they say. 
I'm a little bit frustrated right now because you might be able to hear there is some gardening going on in the background. Um, right now it's very near my house and I am not happy with that because I need to get this recording done. So I apologize for the monotonous drone that you may be hearing in the background. And I'm not talking about me! <laughs> anyway, uh, we got some good stuff coming this week. Another great week in comics. As usual, there are things that are ending. There are things that are um, ongoing. And there are things that are limited. We have one number one, which is where we start, as usual. And that is Marvel's Voices Identity, number one. The Marvel's Voices series has been kind of stumbling through... Oh uh, gosh, they're getting closer to my house now. See, they woke up the cat. She's not looking very happy either. I know, Lucy. I know. Me too. Okay, I think they're moving away now. As I was saying, the Marvel's Voices series has kind of been stumbling through history, um, trying to make its mark. It has had good moments. It has had bad moments. If I was to offer one major critique for them, the name of their issues. It doesn't make any sense to keep repeating these number ones. This is not the first time they have done this celebration of Asian superheroes, why are we calling it a number one? This should be like a number two or a number three at this point. That's- I'm just kind of irritated by that because they're making it look like one-shots. They are one-shots, it's more like an anthology series of one-shots though, but whatever. Me being picky. Uh, what it says about this issue, the solicitation says, the greatest Asian superheroes and creators return. Just in time for Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month comes a new spotlight on the best Asian superheroes in comics. Ms. Marvel, Shang-Chi, Wong, Mantis, plus more surprises from an amazing lineup of new and established AAPI creators. AAPI meaning Asian American and Pacific Islander, if you were not aware. Writers on this issue, we have Pornsack Pishashot, please don't make fun of his name, he's a great writer. Uh, Jeremy Holt, Sabir Perzada, and Emily Kim. Artists include Kei Zama, Eric Koda, and Ricky Yagua. These are actually several names that I'm not familiar with, which is nice because when you get these legacy issues, or sorry, when you get these voices issues, a lot of times you end up falling into this trap of, oh yeah, here are our four token, you know, uh, Asian American writers who were sticking on everything that has got to do with Asian American writers or characters because they are the only ones that we know, so they have to keep getting reused. So it's nice to see <laughs> there's a bit of a shuffling of creators on this issue. It's not the same ones that we've seen in previous issues. We also have covers by, I feel like I spelled this wrong, but it says Crease Haesung Lee. I feel like I definitely spelled that wrong. Uh, Stan Sakai, Ji Young Lee, and Na Young Woo. Who, oh, uh, her cover, I have not been able to track down yet. It's an exclusive, um, but it is gorgeous. It is of um, Silk basically dressed in a Korean style version of her superhero outfit. And I, re I really enjoy it. I definitely recommend looking up Na Young Woo on Instagram as well. She has a great account. Alice Ever After number two comes from Dan Pinozio and Giorgio Spalletta from Boom Comics. The first issue was a fun, um, you know, I guess you would say it's kind of one of the which reality is real kind of stories. You might compare it to Moon Knight in that sense. Um, but that's kind of the, the vibe of Alice Ever After is it seems that one world is true um, and she's falling into the other one in a drug stasis, basically. Um, but it's kind of this weird thing of what is actually real here, and is Alice a reliable narrator? Definitely not. 
that was from Boom Comics. Immortal X-Men number two comes from Kieran Gillen and Lucas Wernick, who I hope is still being allowed plenty of time to do his phenomenal art. Uh, it is one of few, if not the only, X-Book remaining on my read list each month. Kieran Gillen kind of can do no wrong in writing, sorry, but it's, it's kind of true. Uh, X-Men Red number two, I didn't particularly love the first issue, it had some interesting points to it, and so I am going to be at least skimming the second issue. This is by Al Ewing with art by Stefano Caselli, and covers by Russell Dodderman, Giuseppe Camoncoli, and Tarin Clark. Faithless 3, number 4, comes from Brian Azzarillo and Maria LaVey. This is, I believe, Boom, and it is of 6, which is going to leave the series with six, uh, three six-part arcs, numbering the issues out to be 666. Yes, they definitely did that on purpose. Because it does involve a lot of, like, devil-angel kind of themes, so you'll, you'll get it if you read it. Bolero number five is the final issue from Image Comics by Wyatt Kennedy and Luana Vecchio. <laughs> I, I have been just absolutely thrilled with every single every single word of the series. It is so, so good. Um, I would I would definitely say if you are somebody who enjoyed the series Sex Criminals, you will love Bolero. Um, it's very it feels very much in that same vein. Uh, it says about this issue because I did bring the solicitation down because I'm excited about it. Twenty years later, the fate of destruction is also the the joy of rebirth. Beyond jealousy and desire, beyond hate and betrayal, the final choice, the end of the multiverse, the end of Bolero. Will you be okay? I don't know. I don't know. I'll, I'll be fine. I really like the series though. <laughs> Rain number five is the final issue. I have the solicit for this one as well because it's pretty short. With Templeton and Mark at her side, Honeysuckle says a painful goodbye to Yolanda as they lay her to rest. Jackdaw Street is silent. The crystal rain has spread over the planet. The US has nuked the Eastern European country, believed to be the origin of the rain. Waiting for the end of the world, Honeysuckle realizes the source of the rain, and perhaps humanity's salvation may be far closer to home. This is the final issue by Joe Hill, David M. Boer, and Zoe Thorogood from Image Comics, and I am not sure how they're going to wrap it all up in one issue on such a small scale that we've been reading at. It's been following this single person. How is she going to solve anything? <laughs> I'm very curious how that'll go. Silk number five says, time's up. Silk has tried and failed to stop an evil witch from terrorizing New York. Now the witch is putting her grand plan into motion. What is the witch's plan and what will happen to the city and the world if Silk is too late? This is the final issue by Emily Kim and Takeshi Miyazawa. Uh, Wonder Woman Evolution number seven, I admit I am super behind on, but this is another Stephanie Phillips one uh, with art by Stefano Raphael, who is a guest artist. And this is issue seven of eight. Eternals number 12, again, I am very behind on, but I intend to read the whole thing once 12 is out. Um, I'm only behind on the last five or six, not even that, probably those three or four issues. But anyway, it is the final issue. Uh, it is by Kieran Gillen again and Asada Ribic, who is also a phenomenal interior artist. What it says is, Hail Thanos finale. Thanos makes his closing strikes to destroy our world. Can the Eternals settle their variations with the Avengers in time to do something about it? And now New Mutants number 25. This, <laughs> this one I've talked about a number of times. I released a whole podcast episode 
previewing what it'll be about, which is partially magic. And then they pushed it back again. Uh, so hopefully, fingers crossed, it will be in your comic shop this week. Um, it is The Labors of Magic, book one, which they've adjusted the solicitation a few times. So I think that they're really just trying to put more emphasis on uh, magic being like the key character in this coming story arc. So I'll read you the solicit as it is now. The Labors of Magic start here. The big 2-5 is here, and it's the perfect jumping on point for fans new and old. Ileana Rasputin is the Sorcerer Supreme and the rightful Queen of Limbo. But she's always but she's been awfully busy on Krakoa. Someone's got their eye on the throne, and, and magic isn't the only queen in mutant dumb. Vita Ayala and Rod Reese rekindle an old flame for a whole new generation of magic lovers. Um the the only queen in mutantdom she's talking about madeline pryor the goblin queen um who is supposed to be in this arc as well um my whole thing i don't think they're going to be fighting each other i think magic is going to be trying to uh dump the queendom onto Madeline so that she can just handle the Sorcerer Supremedom, basically. We have covers for this issue by Art Derm, Phil Jimenez, David Baldeon, Derek Chu, Miguel Mercado, Philip Tan, and Dan Pinozian. Thor number 25, I'm honestly not too excited, but I'll read you the solicitation for it. The 60th anniversary celebration and Thor and Hulk's epic rivalry continues in the second installment of the crossover between Hulk and Thor series, which I don't care about genuinely. Banner's newfound control of his rage is prolonging this fight more than Thor expected, and with Banner holding his own, Thor must get creative. Odin's breakthrough look into Banner's psyche seems to slow the violence, but well, yeah, I'm not even going to finish reading this. It sounds so bad. Catwoman 43 covers by Jeff DeCal, Jenny Frizen, Takeshi Miyazawa, Sozo Micah, Nathan Serdi, Serdi, uh, Rob Siski, Siki, and Rose Besh. Sorry about the mispronunciations there. <laughs> I'm also not sure why there are so many variants for this issue because it doesn't seem to be any kind of landmark issue. It's number 43, not a big deal number. Um... I don't, I don't, I genuinely don't know, uh, but it is by Teeny Howard with Bengal and Jordi Belair on art. Finally, let's talk Young Justice season four, episode 22, Rescue and Search, which you would, it should be the other way, right? I don't know. They probably did that on, I mean, they obviously did that on purpose. They didn't accidentally misput down Search and Rescue. <laughs> Oh, getting into things here, we jump back into the episode with Lore Zod and his crew stealing away Bioship and her inhabitants, using them as hostages. Nightwing is working as Danny Boy for Haley's Circus. I guess he goes off and does that when things get to be too much in the hero lifestyle. He is picked up by Zaytana for her need for a detective, as we saw in the last episode. She shows Dick the tiny little brief vision she had of Connor in the Phantom Zone screaming for help. They obviously don't know that that's a Phantom Zone, and Dick isn't convinced that he's alive. But he agrees he will help look for Connor for a total of 24 hours. What a big help you are, Dick Grayson. <laughs> then they go get, uh, or then they get the memo that Kid Flash is missing since he was on the bio ship with the Legion members when Lord Zod kidnapped them. They find footage of him out shopping with the legion members who uh dick and zaytana do not know and 
don't show up on any databases when they do a search, but they do show up on an image search in one image. So Dick and Zaytana go to Clark Kent for help. Why? Because Clark met with these Legion members a few episodes ago, remember? And that's the footage that they showed up on from the diner eating lunch or snacks or whatever with Clark. Clark obviously can't tell them who they are. Them. He can't tell Dick and Zaytana who the Legion members are, but he insists to them that they were very trustworthy and there is nothing untoward going on, at least with them. And that's the best help he can be. <laughs> Their hunt then brings them to several others until they get to Rocket, who tells them about the destruction of the Phantom Zone projector and her theory that it was done by a bioship. Zaytana reveals Rocket's memories from the event Comparing what was in Zaytana's vision to what was in Rocket's memories does end up pretty much confirming that Connor is in the Phantom Zone. Meanwhile, actually not meanwhile, uh, Dick then actually becomes useful. He gets really detective-like, uh, puts it all together, what's going, what's happened, uh, but the Phantom Zone projector is destroyed and it will take a dangerous plan from Zaytana to get to Connor. Meanwhile, there's our meanwhile. In the Phantom Zone, General Zod did not make it out of the Phantom Zone after the events of the last episode, thank goodness. Now he's trying to figure out Connor's situation, why the projector didn't recognize him as a captive. He asks of Connor's lineage, and Superboy responds by drawing the symbol into the ground of the House of El. Speaking to one another in their minds, Zod and his wife consider the possibility that Con-El, as he has remembered himself to be, is the son of Jor-El, Clark's real father. They note that he was sent off as a baby, but the question but question the likelihood of it having been long enough amount of time for him to have grown into a young adult as they see before them. They were only sentenced to ten years in the Phantom Zone. Which is totally wild because the real Kryptonian baby that they're thinking of is Clark Kent, who is fully grown and going on middle aged. If anything, Connell is Jorel's grandson. This also means that they don't know of Krypton's fate, so they straight up ask if Con-El is Jor-El's son, and he just parrots back to them the line about why he was created. They dig some more and discover that Krypton exploded over 40 years ago, and Kal-El was its sole survivor. A bit more than the 10 years they expected. Zod's wife immediately gets defensive, disbelieving all of this. But when Connor tells them about the powers Kryptonians gain under a yellow sun, their tune begins to change. Nightwing and Rocket go to Atlantis, where Aquaman, um, Calderon, that's his name, Calderon, um, has grown a beard. He looks very regal and old, I guess. Uh, he admits that he has finally come to terms with Connor's death, which is awkward because they are here to tell him that Connor is not dead. <laughs> uh, showing him all their evidence, he does agree to help as their fifth magical anchor. Back at the Tower of Fate, Zaytana, Nightwing, Aquaman, Rocket, and... Girl whose name I can't remember... Catgirl? It's definitely not it. They perform a summoning for Clarion, the witch boy. They will get him to access the Phantom Zone in exchange for his freedom from their circle. They summon him and Zaytana makes her demands, but then he exits his circle of containment entering the Tower of Fate, which was not expected. They fight for a while and just before Clarion wins, Zaytana charges him with his holy debt or something like that because she saved him before and makes him honor it magically. But he says he agrees, but he, but he is the one who can choose how 
to honor his debts, and he chooses to do so now by simply not killing them at the moment. So he just leaves, and that's it. The episode wraps up by catching up with Lore and his captive time-traveling heroes in Bioship. Saturn Girl taunts Lore that his parents will never be free due to his own over-meddling, which is like in the League, how they'd over-tinker with their lineups. I haven't thought about the show in so long, but I did today. Uh, he forces Wally to use his speed to power Bioship's travel to Oa, the home of the Green Lantern Corps, where the Kaiser Thrall is being studied. On the next episode, Nightwing finds the magic school bus. That's me asking. I'm generally not sure what that hint was. But over the credits, we do see that the Apocalyptic Box, known as the the Kaiser Thrall, registers as having an 11-year-old human boy inside of it who is trying to communicate to the Green Lanterns who hold it captive. I know nothing about who that could be, but it sounds interesting to me. And that does wrap up today's episode of Sensational Shiki Live from Yancey Street. I said it was going to be a short one. It is not even an hour. Um, I hope that's fine with everybody. We've been doing some longer episodes. We were covering uh, Multiverse of Madness and Moon Knight and Young Justice. So this one's a little bit of a break. We got a little bit more into the new comic book week stuff. I hope that was good for everybody. Um, and make sure you connect on whatever social media or on Discord or even on my site, whatever it is that you can do. YouTube, you know, I would love to connect with people. If you have any things that you would like me to go over on the podcast, um, any questions about comics for my Intro to Comics page on my website, anything like that, you can definitely find um, all the places to contact me in the description below or just head to my website and you'll find various ways there. The next episode, well, hopefully I'll be getting that Madeline Pryor special out prior to <laughs> prior to New Mutants 25 coming out this Wednesday, which means I will probably be getting it up tomorrow with any luck. Uh, aside from that, the next podcast episode is going to be coming out next Monday the 23rd, and we'll be uh, somewhat prefacing the... Um, Uh, Patsy Walker podcast, which is still coming by the end of the month. I'm a little bit behind on that one because I have had so much stuff going on. It's kind of bonkers how busy I've been. Um, But yeah, if you if you want to help donate to make the website a full domain of its own, um, then you can do so. You can find all kinds of links to do so in the description and the link tree on my website, like anywhere you can find that. Uh, And I would really appreciate the help for that. And do remember that if you sign up for the Patreon, you will get those uh, weekly after shows for the podcast where I'll talk about various other things um, in addition to what is talked about on the podcast. And this week's we'll be going over uh, my Midtown comic book mail haul, which I will be taking photos of the comics that I got so that you can see those because I was thinking about it and doing a video would just take way too long to upload on my phone. Oh, it's a whole thing. So make sure you check that out on the Patreon if you're all interested in uh, having a little bit more content. Otherwise, I will have the Madeline Pryor podcast out this week and episode 64 out next week. Tonight is a full moon, as I mentioned, so stay safe, stay sweaty, and see you next week.